what a powerful reminder of the role moms have to, uh, most of all, uh, model faith in Jesus Christ and uh, to be committed that uh, more than wealth, more than health, more than anything else, uh, their kids know Jesus Christ. And the reality is, even as we watch that video, we, we realize there are women in our church uh, who step into the lives of folks who aren't their children, who aren't their kids, sons and daughters, and they give faith. Uh, many of the young ladies in our church, many of the women in our church, know other women right now who they would say, that's my, that's my mom in the faith. She, she has shown me how to trust Christ. And so I want you to thank God for those women all across uh, our church today. Well, we continue our study through the book of Philippians that we're calling Joyful Witnesses. And today we're going to look at verses uh, 12 through 18. And throughout, we're, we're going to see uh, what, what Paul is trying to say when he's talking about the gospel being chained to advance. Uh, but we are going to make uh, applications uh, for moms today because it is Mother's Day. And we realize more than anything... Moms need the gospel too. And so we want to make those applications throughout the text. And so uh, as we think about what it means to be chained for the gospel to advance, uh, let's remember how that applies in in all of our lives and moms specifically today. Hear the reading of God's perfect word with reverence in our hearts and our minds as we focus on words that that Paul uh, would have reached for a pen And as he reached for that pen, he would have seen shackles on his wrist. He would have looked around the room and he would have been reminded that he was imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. And yet in that moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is led to write words of joy. Joy in suffering, to witness the joy that comes in saying Jesus is Lord no matter what. Hear the word of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gospel. God, we we thank you for the, the way that you are shaping our lives in light of the gospel. And God, even in this time that we, we look around and we feel quarantined, we feel um, we feel closed in. God, we, we feel like, God, we, our lives are not normal. God, help us remember today that we have been 
quarantine so the gospel would spread. God, even as we look into the life of Paul, even as we look into the um, into uh, these powerful words that remind us to live is Christ, to die is gain. God, we are reminded what we need most of all is the gospel. And that is where our joy comes from no matter what. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Live for Him so that you are ready to die for Him. We, we had stopped, my family and I had stopped in Tennessee. We're, we're on our way uh, to the beach for vacation. And we stopped at my grandmother's house, as we always do. We, we stopped there and we spent some time with my grandparents and uh, my grandmother, as she always does, she always gets the kids around her and she begins to ask them very pointed questions about how they're doing. She wants to know about their life and uh, what their plans are. And my grandmother, if you know her, uh, she always tries to find little words of wisdom to speak into people's lives. And I'd heard all of these little words of wisdom my whole life. And even this morning, as I was thinking about her I was reminded of how intentional she was uh, to be a disciple maker. There was never a moment where she wasn't trying to teach a lesson. One of the things that she would always say to me is that you can catch more flies with sugar than vinegar. I was a little rambunctious kid and I lost my temper every now and then. I would get mad at my sister and she would stop me and say, Now, Jeremy, you know you can catch more flies with sugar and vinegar. I remember thinking as a kid, why would I want to catch flies anyway? What, 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 does, what sense does that make? She would also always tell me it's not how much you make. It's not what kind of job you have. Uh, she uh, worked at a hotel in a small town in uh, Chapel Hill, Tennessee, a very small town. And she worked at a hotel, probably didn't make very much money. But she would always tell me it's not what you do. It's not how much you make. It's how much you save. And, and she would set me down on her floor and... She would give me pennies and she would always, uh, she would say, when you get a hundred of these, you have a dollar. And then she would, she would begin to calculate. Just think if you save pennies your whole life, how many, how many dollars you would have. And, and we would sit down and we would collect pennies together. And she would always say, a penny saved is a penny earned. I know you've heard of that. And, and there were so many cliches that even run through my mind now that she was always talking about. And that's why I wasn't expecting what she was about to say to my son, Nathan. She, she pulled him in very closely. And, and I, was, I was almost rolling my eyes thinking, oh, here we go. Some cliche, some, uh, some sort of sentimental word. And, and she said, live for him. She looked at all of my kids and said, live for him so that you're ready to die for him. And I wasn't expecting the gravity of that moment. It was, those were words that sort of pierced through the air and, 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 and called everyone to, to be awakened to what this woman was saying. And she said, you'll never be disappointed if you live for him. And when it comes time to die for him, you will be ready. And the reason she got so serious is we really do believe every time we see her, it could be the last time that we see her. And, and she wanted to be serious. And she wanted to think, not do I, what do I want to say to my kids and grandkids, but what do I need to say? 
And, and what am I going to pull from the recesses of my faith to speak into the life of my kids in these moments? And it is live for him so that you will be ready to die for him. And we, we, as we talked about last week, we get into Philippians chapter 1 and really the whole book of Philippians. I, I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians this week and, and just notice the sort of coffee cup Christianity that, that we see that is taken from the book of Philippians out of context and put on coffee cups or uh, things that you crochet and you hang on the wall. Think of all the verses from Philippians that you've seen in that way. And so often we'll get to the book of Philippians and we think, okay, here comes some more sentimental joy. But we have to remember that Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. And he is thinking, these could be my last days. And if I'm going to speak words to the church I love, the Philippians who have supported my ministry, what can I say to them? And he basically says the same thing my grandmother would say in this section. Live for him so you're ready to die for him. Or Paul would put it another way, and we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. To live is Christ, and yet to die is gain. Live for him so that you're ready to die for him. If Paul could pull up a summary of what I want to say and where is joy found, it is found in those words. And we begin this Section in verse 12, we see that the gospel is chained to advance. Notice verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served for the advance of the gospel. Now, what has happened to Paul? Remember, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And he has made his way to Rome on a Roman prison ship. He has gone from town to town. He has been involved in shipwrecks. He's been involved in all kinds of persecution, all kind of uh, adventures, even as we see toward the end of Acts. And he finds himself in a Roman prison cell. He says, I want you to know all of this, Philippians. You're worried about me. You hear and you, you, you are reminded that I'm a prisoner. And so you're probably thinking, what's going on with Paul's ministry? Has he stopped preaching the gospel? How can he still preach the gospel even though he's a prisoner? And I want you to know that this has all turned out. Notice he says, for the advance of the gospel. The word means the gospel has not been stopped. It's a military word, that word for advance there. And it means to take new territory. So as you're thinking about my life, as you're thinking about me being a prisoner, you're probably thinking the gospel has stopped. But I want you to know, because I'm a prisoner, the gospel has moved into new territory. And we see that in the book of Acts as Paul makes his way to Rome. He goes from town to town. We, we see he is shipwrecked. He, he even preaches the gospel on an, on an island full of all kinds of uh, misfit uh, tribal uh, warriors and leaders. He preaches the gospel there. He is snake bitten. There's all kinds of adventures he's gone, gone through. And he says, I want you to know along the way, I've still preached the gospel and the gospel has moved into places it has never been before. Notice verse 13. He says, so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
So not just along the way has Paul been able to preach the gospel and the gospel has gone to places it had never been before. He says, I want you to know right now, I, I am surrounded by the emperor's leading, his, his most important guards. The emperor's personal security guards are, are standing around me and they are hearing the gospel. Can you imagine being chained to the apostle Paul? What else would you hear about? Can you, can you imagine being one of these guards and, and this is the prisoner that you have to watch over? Hey man, what are you in for? And then here we go. We're going to hear about Jesus Christ. We're going to hear about Christ and Him crucified. We're going to hear about Jesus and the foolishness. The, the foolishness of the cross that, that is flipping the wisdom of the world on its head. And, and Paul says, I am still preaching the gospel. Even in prison, the gospel is chained to advance. And it's, it's all about perspective. Like, why has God done this? And Paul says, God has done this so that the gospel would move to people and place. Imagine along the way, these unreached places, he's been able to preach the gospel. And imagine these guards who, who would show up to work, not even expecting anything different, but hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believe, they go home and tell their family, the gospel's even moving in Rome as Paul is in prison. And Paul is willing to see it that way. The gospel is chained to be advanced. And think about your life right now. We've experienced what we would, we would summarize or call uh, quarantine, where we, where we are having to distance ourselves from others. And, and over this time, we, we've been isolated, we've been alone. And, and I want to ask you the question, why? Well, in God's plans and purposes... You may have been quarantined so a virus doesn't spread, but you've been quarantined so the gospel would spread. Just think back over your life over the last six weeks and think about all of the unique opportunities you've had to share the gospel. All of the conversations you have had about, uh, can you believe all of this? Uh, what do you think about all of this? And God just throws you up a softball for the sake of the gospel. Think about the opportunities you've had to speak to your neighbors. I, I, would, I would guess the gospel is advancing in ways you don't even see it right now. And it may be months and years from now where we are looking back on this time and, and neighbors and friends and maybe even people that we've engaged with on social media, maybe people we've been in Zoom classrooms, they, they have heard from us the gospel and we look around and we say, this time transformed their lives. And moms, you of all people probably feel chained right now. When you're thinking about what quarantine looks like, you would say, my life has been hindered in ways you wouldn't believe. I am chained to schoolwork, while at the same time I'm chained to, to my work. I'm having to referee little nitpicking fights all day long. And this week they announced no public pools, no camps. I feel like a prisoner. Well, mom, you, you are chained to little quarantine prisoners who need the gospel. And, and I, I want you to see that. They're seeing things in your life right now that they couldn't see any other way. 
God has uniquely organized and ordained these moments, even in human history, so that you would be a mother right now and you would be able to help your kids make sense of the world and all that's going on. I want to encourage you to preach the gospel. The gospel cannot be changed. The gospel cannot be quarantined. God has placed you there in those moments so the gospel would run wild in your home. Notice verse 14. He says, And most brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He makes mention of believers that he has encountered along the way. As this uh, prison ship is moving toward Rome, he's been able to encounter other believers. We've see, we see that in Acts. And when he gets to Rome, there it seems as though brothers, uh, believers in Rome, are able to interact with him while he's in prison. And he says the result of this is that they are more confident to preach the gospel. And, and so as believers see prisoner Paul... Paul, who may be executed for the sake of the gospel, they're they're not shying away from preaching the gospel. He says they're even more bold. He says, I am encouraging them to preach the gospel. And, And I want you to think for a moment about brothers and sisters that we have all around the world and that that we know some of them we've heard from our very own missionaries from right here that that there are. Brothers and sisters around the world who are being arrested and killed for the sake of the gospel. And we are complaining about having to be quarantined. Think about them. They probably look into our lives right now and say, all you have to do is go home and binge watch Netflix. And you can get on social media and still talk about Jesus Christ. You can watch these virtual services. That's outlawed where we are. That, that's against the law. This would be shut down. You couldn't publicly preach the gospel even in this way. And just for a moment, I want you to let them encourage you. Because what we have experienced over the last six weeks is normal for them. And yet they take great joy in Christ. And that's what Paul says His imprisonment does for the believers he comes in contact with. It encourages them. But notice he continues. He says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. So when they are emboldened, their motives are impure. And he says, but others from goodwill. They're trying to encourage me. They associate with my call. And he says, the latter do it out of love. That I am put here for a defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And he says, what then? Only that in every way, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Now, let's summarize this section. First of all, Paul has talked about friends in the gospel. Brothers and sisters who along the way, they are preaching the gospel to encourage Paul. If you want to know what Paul's love language is, it's preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. If Paul shows up at church and, hey Paul, how can we encourage you? Here's some gifts, here's some 
He says, no, just preach the gospel. Just talk about Jesus. That's what brings me encouragement. And he has felt that and he has seen that even from his imprisonment. He says, some do this out of goodwill to serve. Some are committed to my good, so they preach the gospel. And others do it out of the defense. They know I am here to say Jesus is Lord no matter what. That's what I'm on trial for. And so in the community, in the cities, people are forming their opinions about me. It, is Paul right? Is Paul wrong? Is Paul tried for, uh, for justice? Or why is Paul being tried? And he says, as that controversy moves throughout the city, moves throughout the churches, why is Paul in prison? There are believers who are standing up. And in some sense, as they defend me, they're preaching Christ. They're defending Christ because I am aligned with Christ. And that, they know that's why I'm in prison. But he also talks about the opponents of the gospel. But I want you to know something here. He says they preach Christ. Paul says there are actually those who are preaching Christ to irritate me. For selfish, they, they have wrong motives. We, we would say they are preaching the true gospel. They are in line with the truth. But notice why they're doing it. Notice these words, envy and rivalry. They're jealous of Paul. Paul has planted these churches. There are believers who are aligned with Paul. And, and, and preachers, maybe in these cities and towns and even Rome, they're jealous. Why are you following this this disgusting prisoner. Why do you have any allegiance to him? He can't preach. He's been beaten to death. He can barely walk. When he stands up to talk, it, it sounds like gibberish. Why are you following after Paul? Look at us. We, look, we can preach. We, look at our resume. Look at all of our followers. Look at all the money that we're making through our preaching. And yet Paul would say they're still preaching the gospel. They're just doing it for wrong reasons. And notice he says they're doing it to afflict me. Paul can't preach. We can preach. And Paul says that afflicts me. But at the end of the day, notice he says he rejoices no matter what. Now, we see here celebrity Christianity is nothing new. And as we read that section... But we have to be warned that our effectiveness in ministry doesn't always match our motive. There has to be a, mo a warning about motive here. Do you understand you can do gospel ministry with a wrong motive? And God will still use you. How scary is that? That God would take your self-centeredness. That God would take... Your, your approach to ministry, that you would have a platform for yourself. That, that people would look around and say, wow, he can preach. Wow, look how gifted he is. Wow, look, look at his followers. Wow, look, look, look how much money he has because he preaches the gospel. Just think about the celebrity Christianity that we know in our world. And its effectiveness doesn't always match appearance. And, and here, the scary thing is God can use a platform for ministry that is full, full of wrong motives so that the gospel would be preached. And Paul, at the end of the day, this is amazing that he would just step back and go, well, at least they're hearing about Jesus. 
God's going to sort out the motives at the end of the day. But the gospel is moving forward. That's how we know it's all about Jesus with Paul. Is that, that's how we know that's all he cared about. Notice he says, whether pretense, false motives, or truth, these folks who are the real deal, I'm just going to, notice the text says, rejoice. I'm just going to be happy that the gospel is being preached. And we're going to enter a section here where Paul uses this word over and over, rejoice. And, and it's not... Often we think about joy as something we have. The words Paul uses here is something we do. I joy. I choose to joy. I glad. I happy. Not I have joy. I am happy. I choose these things. I choose to be blissful because the gospel is being preached. Because it is the gospel. I just want the gospel to be preached. And that is my motive. And I'll ask you, I want you to ask yourself that question. What is your motive when it comes to sharing Christ, preaching Christ, doing ministry for Christ, singing for Christ? What, what is your motive? It's a vitally important question. And to answer that question, I want you to ask some more questions. What do you say when other churches not like ours succeed? When there are churches in our community that may do things a little differently, that they may have some different theological convictions about secondary things, their style may be a little bit different. And when we see maybe on Facebook or we hear they're baptizing people, we hear about their attendance, we may even hear of an outreach event that goes really well for them. What, what happens in your heart? Do, do you say, whether in pretense or truth, the gospel is being preached? Well, what is your motive? Is it that the gospel would be preached? And, and what happens in the context of the church when other people besides you lead ministry? What, what is your motive? When you look into the lives of other people in the church and they do things well that maybe you don't do well. What, what wells up in your soul? Is it that they're, they're sharing Christ with people? They're investing in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. What happens, college student, on campus when you think about that other campus ministry? What, what goes on in your soul when you hear about their meetings, when you hear about their leaders leading people to faith in Christ? What is your motive? Paul says... Even the most scoundrel of people that I know who would even take the gospel and would even have the most wicked of motives for preaching the gospel, even when they do, I'm just going to rejoice that the gospel is being preached. I'm, just, I'm going to let God take care of that. And I'm going to be happy that the gospel is moving forward. And moms, I, I really do think that's an important question for you today. What is your motive in motherhood? What, what is your motive when it comes to being a mom? Is it to have well-behaved little idols of self that give you feelings of gratitude? Is that your motive? Well, I can tell you one way to find out if it is. How do you think about other moms? How do you think about how they are doing? 
Do you evaluate them by, by the, they're doing a good job or a bad guy, a bad job by, by how they're educating their kids, about how their kids are dressed and the manners their kids have? Or do you just look in on their lives and say, she may not do it the way I do it, but she's teaching those little ones about Jesus. And in that, I will rejoice. What, what is your motive as a mom? Would you rather other moms be less effective at mothering so it would make you look bad? Or is it just to preach the gospel? I want my kids to know the gospel. And I want her kids to know the gospel. And I, 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 we may do it differently, but I want the gospel to go forth. Are you most concerned about what other moms think of your mothering? Or is it they know you're preaching the gospel to your kids? And in that, you will rejoice. It's a miserable lot to constantly be comparing our image as mothers. And in the context of the church, we have to, we have to understand it is the gospel that we want in all of our homes. And mothers have been commissioned with that role and that calling to pour the gospel into their, their kids. And it may look different in every home, but we want to rejoice that the gospel is going forward. And that, that's where we find joy. That's where you're going to find joy as a mom, is that the gospel is going forth. That, that you take that love and you take that affection that you have been given by God, that is a gift from God to you, and you leverage it for the sake of your kids, that they would come to know and love Jesus Christ. But notice Paul says, he continues here, he says, I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. And then again, he, he emphasizes it, and in that, in that I rejoice. And then he says, yes, I will rejoice. He's, he's commanding himself in some sense to rejoice because the gospel is being proclaimed. And then he, and we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, he begins to talk about how and why he can rejoice. And he explains again, guys, I want you to know I'm in prison and I may die for the sake of the gospel. So how in the world can I rejoice? And we, we move through this section and we get down to verse 21 that we're going to talk about next week and even the next week. And this sums up how Paul can rejoice. Notice verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, so how can Paul rejoice in prison? Well, I'm living for Christ no matter where I am. How can I rejoice that the gospel is being preached by scoundrels and friends? Well, for me to live is Christ. And I think we have to figure out what that means as we continue to move forward. To live is Christ means if I am alive, I'm living for Christ. I'm in Christ. Paul says his life, his work, his plan, it, all of it is summed up in Christ. And he says, I can rejoice. I can joy. I can happy. I can bliss. I can choose these things because I am living in Christ. Paul would say his sin is in Christ. His failure is in Christ. Paul doesn't live condemned by the guilt. Think about Paul's past. A man who killed Christians. 
We, we read in Acts chapter 8 that he would stand as Stephen is being stoned. And to honor Paul, those who were throwing rocks at Stephen's head, they would take off their coats and throw them at Paul to honor him. This is our guy, Paul. And he is overseeing the killing of hundreds of Christians. And can you imagine the misery of such guilt? So how do you have joy? How would you ever have joy? Now your brothers and sisters are Christians. And you have been the one who has tried to kill them. How could you live with joy? To live as Christ. My sin, the the killing of Christians, that sin has been nailed to the cross Uh, Jesus has already been condemned for me. And so I don't live with the guilt of what I have done or what I haven't done. No, I live with the joy that I've already been judged in Christ. And he says here, my righteousness is found in Christ. And so Paul, this this man who he, he, he had achieved so much as a teacher of the law. He was, as we said last week, the goat of Judaism. He was the MJ of Judaism. No one's resume read like Paul's. And he had tried that. He had tried to earn his salvation by what he did. And now in a Roman prison cell, he said, he's going to say, that is rubbish. That's dung. No, to live is Christ. My righteousness is in Christ. Not trying to earn my salvation anymore. And I think that's a very important Uh, reality that mothers have to embrace on this day that we all have to embrace as we're going to talk about in the next few weeks if you replace if you replace to live is christ with anything else to live is work you're going to be miserable to live is student you're going to be miserable to live is pastor you're going to be miserable to live is sport You're going to be miserable to live as friend. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable because those things are temporary roles that we are given that bring temporary success. But to live as Christ brings deep abiding joy and eternal bliss because of what Christ has done. And so moms, I know some of you live in misery because that's the way you think you think. To live is mom. To live is mom. And and some of us here today, we struggle with that because that's the way we think. That's the gospel that some of us believe. And to live is to be a mom, is what some of us even are clinging to right now. And in God's plan for your life, you're you're not a mom. And I want to say for for our single women in our church, you are, you are some of my heroes because you live out the gospel in a way that, that I don't know that I could. And I am so thankful for you. And so never discredit your ministry in the life of this church. But, but I want to encourage you, don't live as if to have life, to have joy, It's to just be a mom. And that's something you're always grasping for. Continue to have joy in the role that God has given you. Continue to encourage us. Continue to serve us. 
continue through the difficulty of not taking joy in your marriage status, but showing us joy in Christ. Continue to persevere. You are such an encouragement to us. We think about Paul in a prison cell. How could he ever encourage the church there? How could he ever preach the gospel there? And yet he does it. And I want you to know you're preaching the gospel to us as a church. But moms, please don't live as if to live is moms. That's where a lot of your misery is coming from. You're defined only as a mother. And you wake up every day and your success or failure as a mom is what is defining you. It's defining who you are. And so on days when your kids wash the dishes and they say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, you lay your uh, head on the pillow at night And you think, wow, I was a great mom. I really lived today. And then on those days that your kid takes a Sharpie and writes down the pastor's wall at his house, you lay your head on the pillow at night and say, wow, I was a miserable mom. And don't live in that way. To live is mom. That's a way of misery. No, joy in motherhood is to say, to live is Christ. And if to live is Christ, to mom is Christ. And joy in motherhood comes from seeing it all in the context of Christ. And so stop trying to be the greatest mom ever. That card you're going to get today is a lie. You may be the greatest mom in your kid's life. You may be the greatest mom in your husband's life. As we heard on the screen, that's the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to be the greatest mom to them in that context. But some of you think, I've got to be the greatest mom ever in the history of the world. I've got to be put on the pedestal and every other mom has to be evaluated by me. Stop living that way. You know what Paul prized himself in? Paul, Paul at the end of the day, would say... You know, I have all these accolades in teaching. I have all of this great ministry. But you know what I'm really great at? Sinning. Paul prized himself in that he was the chief of sinners. I'm the greatest of sinners. And the man who would say I'm the greatest of sinners would have the greatest of joy. Why? Because to live is Christ. And he saw even his sin in light of Christ. And that's where he found joy. To live is Christ. And so, moms, you've been called to this wonderful calling, this wonderful role, but it's not your identity. To mom, it's Christ. And so fulfill your role in Christ. And this week, on those days that you are exhausted, those days that you are frustrated, those days where you lay down and you say, I lost my temper today. Those days when you are lazy and you say, I didn't read the Bible with my kids today. I didn't pray with them. I didn't pray for them because I was so angry at them. To mom is Christ. All of that has to be wrapped up in Christ. Your success and your failures. You may say tomorrow, I failed to love. But let me say today as your pastor, Jesus has never failed to love you. And there is your joy. There is your happiness. You may fail to love, and yet Jesus has never failed to love you, even in your failure. To mom is Christ. And I'm not sure what you want to say to your kids today. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll pull them in and, 
Maybe you'll have these wonderful words of wisdom to, to tell them today. But more than anything, I hope you'll say to them, live for him so that you're ready to die for him. And more than that, I pray that you would model that by living for Christ today.